1: We're talking breakout prospects from the 2023 season here on The Call-Up. He's Jack McMullen. I'm RM Layton. The Texas Rangers are world champions. We're not here to talk about that. I was at the game, though, and that was really cool, and that's part of the reason why uh, this Giants top prospect list is slightly delayed. Uh, It's been a little bit busy here in Arizona between the fall league and now going to the world series game. We are going to talk about a Texas Rangers prospect in this episode though. So we will take care of a little bit of Rangers conversation, but Jack, we I've kind of thrown a wrench in our schedule uh, because of this week being so chaotic, but we will get back on track with the top tens. The giants system is almost done. We're almost there. It's a really unique system. Also took a little bit longer because there's multiple players that
2: I have to write up,
1: twice because they also pitch and hit so
2: it's been a little bit crazy yeah it's all good I'm excited for the the uh the Reggie Crawford and the Bryce Eldridge breakdown because those are two guys that I think so many people have a ton of questions about and I think that we're okay waiting a weekend personal news I slept until 10 40 this morning because we got done with just baseball show stuff I went to bed around two after the Rangers won the World Series so it's it's kind of nice to be done with the post-game yeah. record. I will I, say that. I got to be honest, yeah. <laughs> I feel really well-rested right now. I know I'm going to be groggy at about 5 p.m., but it's 2.24 out in the uh, eastern time zone. Um, but we're going to go to bed at 10, and uh, we're going to come back and, and get ready for an offseason. It, it's kind of nice. This is like the start to our offseason programming. And we're just like talking baseball less than 24 hours after the Rangers win it because like prospect life and baseball life really never ends. And now we get into the free agency thing. A lot of good content coming on the just baseball side and the call up side.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And I think the off seasons where we have a little bit more creative freedom because there's not as much changing there. You don't have the fluidity of the season and things to keep up with. And from a minor league perspective, especially because now we can look back at the 2023 season and look forward at the 2024 season, same thing on the just baseball show. I will say it is really nice to just not be recording at 2 AM and, and, you know, have to try to turn that around and then the next morning try to keep up on these sides of things. So I'm really excited for the, the, kind of content plan that we have on the call-up side, of course, just kind of reminding you, uh, it'll be the team top 10s, top 15s, really, uh, in farm system breakdowns every single week, uh, a fun episode kind of mixed in with that every week as well, whether it's something like this, recapping the top you know, breakout seasons or whatever it may be. And then we will probably be interviewing a lot of different prospects, a lot of stuff lined up from the AFL that we're going to have going at the, probably at the end of it, I had kind of that, back and forth of, do I want some shorter form conversations that we put together, you know, into one episode where we have three or four guys or get a couple of these guys out here to come on for 45 minutes and talk about their season. I thought there were several guys that their, their season's just been so fascinating that I'd love to have them sit down and talk. I can promise you that they will be, very fun interviews. Paulie, we've got locked in finally after the season. That poor guy's been in like three different time zones. I he's climbed four levels basically. He's been all over the map. I saw him. I could just see how exhausted he is. I was like, yo, let's 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 do this after the season. That yeah. said, he hit a bomb. Uh, our guy, Will Cohen, got an unbelievable video, Padres prospect. We're going to talk about him in this episode, coincidentally, so I'll save that. But that was a really fun conversation uh, just just to be able to kind of dive into what he's done. And I'm looking forward to bringing him on to the show for for a full 45. And
2: uh, I think people are really going to like him. The other nice thing about the offseason is these guys are kind of itching to talk baseball uh-huh. because they step away from it for they don't step away from it. They're always doing it, but they step away from a feel and a game environment for about 150 days. And that's tough when you do it every day for six months, seven yeah. months. So uh Polly, I know that you're trying to get something with Victor Scott on the schedule, yes. which is very exciting. Yeah. Um and I know from my in-person conversations with Justin Henry Malloy with the Tigers and quinn Priester with the Pirates, they want to come on and do a full 45 and kind of a breakdown and 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 just shoot the shit for a little bit this offseason that's just scraping the surface of what we're going to be doing. And this is the time where you can really eat and get people in a relaxed environment. So the off season, I, I'd, I'd argue the content's more fun during the off season. Oh, so sure. I'm, I'm very excited to uh, kind of get this thing going on the player front. So and Polly's a great start, um, cause I watched that video, you texted, um, I, I like took Twitter off my phone for a minute and you texted me and was like, "You need to go watch the Twitter video that I." And put I never, out. I like, I don't, I don't do that often either. I'll just send never. you the video. And I was like, "All right, damn it, time to go on the iPad and open up X, the Elon machine." And I was like, "Wow, I'm glad that Arm told me that it was mandatory that I go watch that Paulie home run video because that thing was tagged." Oh yeah,
1: and it, you can't see <clears throat> in the video, but it
2: was a left on left heater,
1: and that swing in itself is. Exactly why he's one of the breakout hitters that, that we're going to talk about here. So we're going to go through about four or five hitters, maybe maybe a sixth, depending on. And then we'll talk about some pitchers, too. There's a lot of guys that could have qualified for this. Uh, you know, we, we thought about putting some first rounders on that and maybe didn't have the same level of prospect intrigue that they have now. But we wanted to really go with the players that were not on any radars uh, going into the season or just were, were, were mostly overlooked by the industry and and fans alike. And I think Paulie fits that exact Mold, right? Because Pauly, we talked about him in that Padres farm system breakdown. But this is a guy that was a late bloomer in college, had a solid season to go into the draft, but you know, I don't think it was anything crazy, didn't light the world on fire. It was a similar story to Nathan Martarella, but I thought Martarella kind of balled out a little bit more at Cal. They saw something here with Pauly where they just knew he was just scraping the surface of what he's capable of offensively. And I've said it with the Padres they do a really good job of identifying swings that are just going to play. And if you have baseline athleticism across the board elsewhere and a good approach, like they can put that together into a good ball player. Martorello was a player that didn't have a sexy prospect profile, but they liked the swing. Graham Pauly, same thing. And Pauly, to be honest, it's one of the best swings I've seen out here. And one of the more advanced swings you're going to see in the minor leagues. And this specific stroke, That we're talking about here that I think we're going to in post production for those watching on YouTube we will overlay that video. If you're listening on audio, uh, go check out on my Twitter. It's not that far down, maybe like one or two videos down. Uh, But the thing that stands out to me is this is a left on left heater running in on his hands. It's on the inside black. And he is not only able to get to it, he turns it around for a pull-side homer. And that's just what Grand Pauly has been able to do all year. It's a slow early load. He sees the ball early. He makes great swing decisions. And he seems to always put himself in position to make a powerful swing and drive the ball in the air with some authority. And you see that, Jack, through his numbers this year where he hit for average, but he also slugged a little bit too.
2: Yeah, for sure. The thing that jumps out to me and the thing that I, I think makes Paulie a true breakout in every sense of the word is this guy put up a 931 OPS this year between low A, high A and double A. That 931 clip is the best OPS he's had at any stop after high school, aside <laughs> from 26 games with the Alpharetta Aviators in the Sunbelt Collegiate Summer League. I know my college summer leagues. I know the Cape, the Northwoods, the Eddie, CBL, the Alaskan. I've never heard of the Sunbelt League. And the fact that Pauly put up a better OPS this year climbing to double A than he did on the Cape in an NA game sample in college. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. But this guy clearly made some tangible changes.
1: Yeah, that's actually a fantastic uh that's a fantastic comparison there where you can go all the way back to
2: early college. And this dude as a sophomore at Duke had a 685 OPS. And now he's OPS 931 in high end up. It's funny. So he was in the
1: on deck circle. And the cool thing about the fall league is you can kind of like slide right behind, you know, and be in the first row behind home. So he obviously played with a couple of my buddies at Duke. So I sent, I snapped a picture to my buddy, Mike Rothenberg, who we're going to get on the show, one of the smartest uh, baseball minds, especially with pitching uh, as he's a catcher and just, oh my gosh, I'm excited to get him on here and pick his brain. But I sent him a picture. The first thing Roth said was, man, he's really filled out. And that seems to be the story with Paulie is he put on a lot of weight, good weight his junior year at Duke. And then I think finally as a pro As he started to really break out that junior year, it still had a nice year. It wasn't nearly as good as this year, uh, which is insane to your point across multiple levels all the way up to double A. He he blended that advanced swing and how do I leverage my new strength and balance the two? and, And he's done exactly that. There is a really interesting stat that I think is fun from this season that also highlights why Paulie is an absolute breakout. And I think also doing it across multiple levels really solidifies the breakout too. It's one thing to be oh college guy figures it out and he hits in low A and high A. Like yeah, that's still it's impressive, but to do it also in Double A now the fall league is super impressive. This year, prospects with at least 20 home runs, 20 doubles, 20 stolen bases, and a K rate below 25 percent. Sounds like a lot of spe- specific stats, but like honestly, it's just hitting for power, also hitting enough where you fill in with doubles, stealing twenty bags, and not punching out a lot. Jackson Chorio, Jordan Lawler, Sudan Rafaela, Ronnie Mauricio, Graham Polly, Joey Lo Troy Johnston, Ryan Bliss, and then the two kind of like random uh, surprises are Tyler Fitzgerald and Aaron Polensky, but. For the most part, that, I mean, that that's a ridiculous
2: group to be a part hey, of. Man. Tyler Fitzgerald got to the big leagues this year. That is true. So That is true. Can't call him a rando. He's a big leaguer. So is yeah. Wade Beckler. Um, yeah, I mean, whenever you can, re- regardless of query, whenever you can query someone into a clump of like some of the top prospects in baseball, you know they did something good. Like, outlier or not. Chances are the outliers still had a fantastic year and one that's going to make them sleep incredibly soundly. Um, Paulie, I think, is less of an outlier and more of a fringe top 100 guy yep. than than a lot of people would expect.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Last thing I'll say, defense actually looks good at third. Really the interesting thing is they're trying to get him some reps in left because I think he might have to play some left or some outfield for the Padres who are broke by the way. Um, and I know it's, it's not really, but they, they got a bridge loan and I just think it's crazy that a team has to stop in attendance and good TV ratings needs to get a bridge loan to, to make player payroll. That said, they are going to trim some salary and Graham Pauly is probably going to be, I, I think there's a chance he could play some, some outfield or play some, anywhere for them at some point this coming year. Cause I think they're going to shed and I think they're going to move some guys. And there's a reason why they're trying to get Paulie some experience in the outfield, despite him never having played it before, not
2: even at the collegiate level, not even in the sunbelt league that you just talked about. He was an aviator in Alpharetta, Georgia, Northern suburb of Atlanta. Um, I had some fun with the Padres going broke thing on the just baseball show last night. It was 2.00 AM, but I, you know, there were a couple of asides and, yeah, I saw AJ Preller with with one of the, like the big gulp cups that was asking me for a dollar bill. It was <laughs> it was kind of crazy. It was tough. That is tough. I mean that's what happens when you just spend and and just don't even like think twice I about mean- it. But, hey shit, I need 50 million dollars. <laughs> it's just a little bridge loan.
1: Uh but t- seriously though, like Paulie is a guy that I do think can help them this year. Same with Jacob Marcy, who you could probably also say is a borderline breakout guy in this conversation as well. So we'll give him a little honorable mention, love. Yeah. Next up, another guy that we've had on the show and we saw in the fall league. It's it's Justice Bigby of the Detroit Tigers. And I, I'll probably I feel like every time I go, we're gonna talk about a player, I'll be like, oh, this was the craziest breakout. But aside from maybe one other guy we're gonna talk about, I actually I don't know, man. It's tough. This is up there though. I think this is one of the more insane breakouts. I think you got to combine what they actually did in, in terms of the statistics, but then also where they were at coming into the year. And I feel like Big B, I mean, he had as good of a year as anybody in minor league baseball, period. And I don't think anybody was really paying attention to him going into this year. No, no one knew who he was.
2: And I think that's kind of a different case than Carrie Carpenter, who we want to, you know, kind of equate Justice Bigby to. Carrie Carpenter was undoubtedly the breakout of the year in twenty twenty two. If Carpenter was undoubtedly the breakout of the year in twenty two, Bigby has to undoubtedly be the breakout of the year in twenty three. Same yeah. round, nineteenth round. Carpenter came from Virginia Tech. Gavin Cross was a top ten pick. They consistently have players that are first round caliber talents, and it's the ACC. You could argue that's the second or third best conference in college baseball. Justice Bigby was a 19th round pick at a Western Carolina. Yeah. Who the hell was Justice Bigby? Yeah. And now we're like, yeah, he's knocking on the door. He probably factors into the 2024 plans for Detroit, which that is, so is a awesome. breakout.
1: It's so yeah. awesome. That's why I love the fluidity of this sport, and I love the minor leagues because Justice Bigby had his what was it a a six ninety OPS in a six ninety six OPS in low A as a twenty three year old out of college, his first you know pro season really. That's that's a guy that you are not counting on having a nine forty two OPS against against high A double A AA, and triple A competition. It's just and now he's a piece of of potentially your future. Like that's what's so cool about the minor leagues, man, it's so
2: fluid. This guy proves that baseball is truly a meritocracy. And that's what I love about this. Um, you know, you could argue sports in general are a meritocracy and I agree, but the AAU circuit is tough. Um, your college basketball, thankfully, the mid-major programs and the low-major programs give you an opportunity to kind of showcase yourself. Um, And if you are good enough, you run to the Dame Lillard thing where like, hey, you go to Weber State, where is that? But you could still make it. Baseball truly is the meritocracy. There are a ton of guys that nobody in baseball circles has ever heard of that get a shot. And what you do with that shot determines how far you go in this thing. Bigby, yeah, if he had an 800 OPS, he could be blocked. He could have spent the entire year in high A. He didn't have an 800 OPS. He had a 950. He was like. Amazing. If you're amazing, you climb in this game. And that Justice Bigby is what ropes me back into loving this game. Um, I'm with you.
1: And also great guy. Uh, if you if you haven't heard that interview, go check out our conversation with Justice Bigby from maybe a month or two ago. Really cool story. I mean, one of the questions I had to ask him, we're talking about summer collegiate leagues, man. This guy did three straight years in the Northwoods, and just so people know, like the Northwoods is probably the second most challenging in terms of competition uh, when it comes to summer collegiate leagues, but it is the number one most rigorous yes. because you got to travel more than anywhere else. It's a really aggressive schedule, and there's generally more games. He played one summer where he had more games in Madison in the in, in the Northwoods League than he had in his collegiate season. He played 53 games at Western Carolina, then that summer played 68 games for Madison. You don't hear a college guys playing 121 games in a season. I mean, that's insane. So I think that really set him up well to be able to handle the the endurance of a season and all that good stuff. But it also is a testament to how much this guy likes baseball and, and how much he lives for it because I mean, most people get burnt out. And he didn't even get close to burnt out. He actually matched what he did in his regular season in Madison. And, and those 68 games put up a 944 OPS. But what was interesting is kind of – Almost takes a small step back in 16 games, didn't get a chance to get going in the shortened 2020 season, and then had a really nice senior year. But no doubt, one of the most impressive breakouts, final slash line on the year. You didn't read it the numbers overall yet, right? 343, 405, 537 slash line. That's a 942 OPS. He had 25 doubles, 19 homers. I mean, that is really good stuff. So pumped on on Justice Bigby and definitely going to be a guy who I think gets a little bit of an opportunity next year for the big league club in Detroit. Next, we got two Cincinnati Reds here, so we'll go with the two Reds together, but we'll start with, I think, the player that maybe has a little bit more upside, Blake Dunn. What a year for this guy. Uh, Blake Dunn, another like Central America in terms of like just mid-major type of school, right? Was he a Western Michigan guy?
2: Yeah, he was a Bronco
1: in Kalamazoo. Blake Mitchell had a crazy year. And I got a chance to see this guy on the Cape back when I was out there. And you could – or sorry, did I say Blake Mitchell? Blake Dunn. I got a chance to see him out there. He was definitely athletic. And you could see how well he could move. You could see stocky but strong guy. But man, I never thought he had this in the tank. It's absolutely insane what he's been able to put together this year. And he's, it was a 15th round pick by the Reds coming off of last year where he, he did have a good year last year. So it is worth noting this isn't a guy that totally came out of nowhere uh, in 37 games between rookie ball and low A. He did produce an 878 OPS. But to do what he did in high A and double A uh, and and from a power, from a speed, from an everything perspective was remarkable. We'll get into the numbers in a second, but, but Jack, Blake Dunn, I mean, you were taking the 878 OPS with a grain of salt, right? Cause he's a college guy in low A and rookie ball. No way we were expecting him to actually be better. Really have the, be- again, similar thing, pretty much the best numbers he's had, except for one year in a summer collegiate league were at double A, the highest level he's ever played at this year. We had a 989 OPS at 332.
2: Yeah, there was, I like. There was no doubting the athleticism, and the stolen bases were there. When he was in the Northwoods in twenty, he stole thirty-two bases in thirty-seven attempts. So we knew that he could do that. Did we know that he could steal fifty-four bases in sixty-one attempts? We did not. But the other thing that jumps out, his previous career high in a given season for homers, was five. <laughs> And he hit 23
1: this year. Wow, I actually year. didn't notice that. Holy crap.
2: Yeah. He never hit more than five. At any stop. At 2019, he, he had five at Western Michigan, and then he had two more in Falmouth. So I guess seven. So you pump it from seven to 23. He's playing more games, but I mean, who cares? He played 89 games in 2019. He had seven homers. He played 124. He had 23 homers this year. So... The power breakout is is what pushes this guy over the top. And and the fact that we got a 2020, 2030, 2040, 2050 season is really impressive. And the final slash line, 312, 425, 522. And the power's for real, Jack. Like he he found and he battled a lot of injuries. He's a football player too. And is body- He looks like a football. His headshot makes him look like a football player.
1: Right, he does look like just like a guy that you could just hand the rock off to. He's just running it straight up the middle, but it, he he hits the ball hard. Ninetieth percentile exit velocity of one hundred and five this year, and I mean this guy hit a home run one hundred and twelve miles per hour this year. That that's legit power that backs the the breakout. So I mean, not that he was playing in any super hitter friendly environments, but sometimes you just have these these fluky you know, outcomes a little bit. I think it's kind of hard to hit 23 home runs by accident. So, uh, but just to add some further context, he hits the ball very hard and has found something there. Destroys lefties too, which is an interesting note. And I think a way that he's going to be able to force his way up to the big leagues and potentially help this Reds team that historically had struggled against lefties, not as much this past year, but against lefties this year, 359-510-709 slash line. That's a twelve nineteen OPS with 10 homers. Um, Yeah, that'll play. You mentioned the speed. The defense is good. He can play all three spots. There's another dude that I think with the year that he had, will probably start in AAA but he'll get a chance to to help this team out at the big league level. And I think it's part of the reason why they were okay with parting with like a Siani. There's another guy that's a part of the reason why I think that is uh, the case too. But um, yeah, Dunn Dun was, was fantastic, and I think he's going to get an opportunity this year.
2: Yeah, Siani was DFA'd. He was claimed by the Cardinals, and I think he finished the year with Memphis, but he did get a brief cameo with St. Louis this is kind of a better version of we have Michael Ciani at home in and done and, and the next guy that we're going to talk about. And, you know, sometimes the home cooked meal is is better than the one, you know, you get at the restaurant or through the drive-thru. Um, yeah, man, I, I'm so curious to see how the reds attack the off season. When it comes to free agent, like one year deals for bats, I have a feeling they may look in the outfield because there's already a young log jam in the infield. I think they need a catcher moving forward. They oh, don't yeah. have an answer back there. I think
1: that's number one.
2: <laughs> yeah, but but in the outfield, like Friedel was awesome. Friedel was a four and a half win player this year. Oh, yeah. Is TJ Friedel the everyday center fielder? Maybe. Yeah. How do you go about implementing Blake Dunn or the next guy that we talk about?
1: I don't know. He takes the lefties. I they don't they didn't like playing all those guys against lefties all the
2: time last year. So sure, but would you lefties. rather he like? They have wild card aspirations. Would you rather trust Blake Dunn in a lefty platoon, or would you go sign a 32 year old, you know, right handed bat to a one year deal? I'm not yeah. sure. We'll no, see.
1: And we'll see. And I think it'll be telling on how the Reds want to approach it, regardless if, if Blake Dunn continues what he did last year, which I think he will. Maybe um, I mean, not at the same exact output, but I think he's going to put up numbers. It's just going to be whether he can do it at the big league level or not. He's going to sure. get to AAA. He's a patient hitter already. He's a 20% chase rate guy. I think he's going to continue to put up good numbers in AAA. And at that point, it's like, okay, if someone goes down or whatever, he's going to get an opportunity. It's just whether he he makes anything of it. But yeah, I, d- I do think it's probably silly to not have a primary plan and just say, hey, Blake Dunn, you're the guy. You're our platoon guy that's going to take the lefty at bats. Probably not yet. Uh, next is Jacob Hurtubise, <laughs> which what was he, 39th round pick? by the reds was it was it 39th uh maybe there was, or, was so, an, or did he get previously drafted 39th round and then signed as an undrafted free agent in 2020 he it's was an undrafted free agent in 20 okay that's exactly what that was okay um, that's always always deceptive cuz you see that was the only time he was drafted but then he signed a year later uh for 20k as an undrafted free agent out of
2: army which is out of army wild so there was a very weird wrinkle. He was subject to the Noah Song wrinkle, where he would have to go serve before starting his career. Um, Song didn't get a waiver, like an athletic waiver that you know David Robertson got out of Navy. It, there was some weird thing when it literally came down to like, hey, the Trump administration did this, <laughs> like it was bizarre. I remember reading about it in 21 in the Midwest League, but I think he got a waiver and song was a year too early in getting the yeah, waiver. No, I, so, I
1: I I I did see something along those lines as well. I know what you're talking so
2: about. So there was a chance that Herdeby's was just gonna be out of Pro Bowl for four years. He wasn't, he was a speed demon in 21. It was 39 bags and 49 attempts. The speed is still entirely there. In 22, he stole 16 bags in 63 games. We were like, where did it go? But in 119 games, he stole 45 bags in 54 attempts. I didn't expect him to slug 483. I didn't think that was in the tank, but it was apparently in the tank this year. And this was uh, a really incredible year. A 479 OBP is kind of a tough one to fathom. The slug
1: makes no sense because this guy, this is one of the more unique profiles and just, just watch this guy hit. So if you watch him hit, you'll realize that the batted ball data, like you almost have to throw it out the window because he is up there just looking to slap something in play. So he doesn't care if he hits a 20 miles an hour, he can just kind of finesse it over into the left field, you know, shallow left field area. The, the other side of it, though, is he's a he's a pretty strong guy, right? So every once in a while, he'll, he'll smack one. And you're like, whoa, where's that? I mean, this guy's 90th percentile exit velocity. was like 98 miles an hour this year, which is I think that's below Xavier Edwards. But then he'll just snap off a 107. I think mean, he had a home run 107 miles an hour this past year, which it was way higher of a max than anybody else with that, with a 90th percentile exit velocity below 100. So it's it's interesting. It's like, It's like the old Ichiro, right? Like, oh, he has more power in there, but he just doesn't want to use it, kind of thing. Yeah, it's kind of the case here. Like, he could sell out for more power, but then he's not getting on base at a 460 clip because he's one of the most patient hitters in the minor leagues. 14% chase rate. He's really good bat to ball. He doesn't miss change up specifically, which is really funny. So, like, if you're a righty, you got to get him out with a breaking ball, and, and even then, he doesn't really swing and miss at them very often. 87 percent zone contact, 86 percent zone contact overall like that. That's going to play. He walked more than he struck out this year. But with his speed, man, he chops balls in the ground. He beats him out like he's just a very unorthodox throwback type player. It might just work. So he kind of defies everything that, you know, we're we're totally used to. What's funny is I think a big reason why the slug was up, too, is this guy hit 10 triples. He turned a yeah. lot of doubles into triples, and, and that's going to help the slog, right? A triple is better than a double when it comes to the slog. No one ever really hits enough triples for it to really make it's that much of yeah. a difference. But 10 triples, 7 doubles in in uh, double A, and overall in the season, he had 11 doubles in those 10 triples and 7 home runs. I mean, that's really impressive stuff. He's going to walk. He's going to put the ball in play. He's not going to strike out. The question is how much power does he hit for, but you know, maybe he doesn't have to hit for that much.
2: No, he has to hit for like a little bit more than zero. And it seems like he figured out a way to do that. Another poly type quirk. You look at any stop since high school for Jacob Hurtabies; He's never had a higher slugging, regardless of sample size than he did in 2023. Not at Army, not on the Cape, nothing.
1: You know what else is crazy? You have 176 games in college zero home runs. That's 758 plate appearances with zero home runs. You can also add his time on the Cape, which he was actually great and no home runs there either. So you have almost, I think actually over 800 plate appearances, zero home runs, but now as a pro it's been a little bit better, right? You got a thousand plate appearances, eight homers, but seven of those have come in his last 455. I mean, that's enough, especially in, Great American Ballpark, so I'm I'm interested to see where this guy fits into, but a, a fun story and definitely a breakout by any definition. Yeah. Next up is a guy I, I saw walking into his car in the parking lot of uh, the, the the Arizona complex here, and he's definitely as big as advertised. <laughs> Abimelech Ortiz, the Texas Rangers. That guy's a monster. He's he- a big dude. Um, big, big dude, and he hit like a big dude this year. I think it's just one of those years where it just seems like everything went right for the Rangers. Where you have obviously your big league team now winning the World Series, but the farm system as well. I mean, you somehow luck into Wyatt Langford, and then you have some certain guys just perform and just really break out and have great years. They cash in on you know, Sajay Z, they cash in on Roby, they hold on to Ortiz. And Ortiz, I mean, with how good their system is, otherwise, this is some found money here uh, that I think they got to be pretty excited about. There's a classic swing and miss concerns, but for a 21 year old, what was it? 34 home runs if you combine the uh, Arizona Fall League this far. I mean, that's yeah,
2: That's that's big pop in in 121 games. Big time juice and under 500 plate appearances too. You got 34 homers and you have 108 driven in. Um the thing that jumped out to me is like this guy was a 300 hitter. The punch outs were there but I mean he hit 294 this year which I is incredible. Last year 94 games hit 226. Yeah. So not only do you have a 300 point jump in OPS but you have about a 70 point jump in batting average. And yeah. that matters with power guys. Um you know, Schwarber can circumvent it but if your guys are are hitting at a pretty high clip in the minor leagues, you know that they have enough field to hit, um, to kind of have them prepped to be a three true outcome guy in the major leagues. Yep. there's really no, you know, low two hundreds master in the big leagues that hit low two hundreds in the minor leagues. They always point. hit mid to high two hundreds.
1: That's a good point. Like even when you when you are looking at some of the guys that yeah that you think are like, wow. There must
2: have been 30 hit tool guys like how many Joey better. Gallo right oh, yeah. now Joey Gallo career in the minor leagues hit 253. yeah like that <laughs> that's that's
1: a lot higher than I think a lot of people would think given what you see at the big league level so it's important to kind of you know, have that comparatively and I think that's an important point with Ortiz because Ortiz at the highest level his success is probably going to look like 240 you know 250 with a lot of home runs yeah. but the important thing that he did is you leaning into that three true outcome profile and of course he's not trying to do that but in terms of one of the biggest things that you need to be able to do if you're going to strike out and be a home run hitter who walks obviously cuts down on the chase which he did uh try to minimize whiff as much as you can he he did he cut his end zone whiff and overall whiff by a couple of ticks but i think most importantly he cuts his ground ball rate down by about 12 13 and i think that's why we saw the home run output really jump. Of course, you make more contact, you're going to hit more home runs. And and that's what what he did this year, but I also think you make more contact in the air, that's also going to help a lot too. His 90th percentile exit velocity also jumped 3 more than 3 miles per hour. So when you have that jumping 3 miles per hour and you're hitting the ball in the air more and you're hitting the ball more frequently and you're not chasing as much, you got the recipe for a breakout. So it pretty much contextualizes it. Uh this was for real. This guy's got a powerful left-handed stroke. Again, it, it, there's a chance he might not be able to hit enough. We'll see. But he took as big of a step in the right direction, as a even for him, as, as a human can uh, in one year. Yeah. Next up, we got,
2: and make sure I'm saying this right, Tyron Lorenzo. It's Tyron, I think right? so. I think it's Tyron, Tyrone. Yeah, Tyrone Lorenzo. Los
1: Angeles Dodgers. This is the last hitter we're going to talk about. Actually, we got one more hitter real quick after. Um, yeah. But second to last hitter. Dodgers do this, man. We know that. We know the Dodgers always have these guys that just kind of come out of nowhere uh, and and end up turning into really exciting prospects. And he's probably not far off from potentially lapping Diego Cartaya. Uh, if we're talking about the catcher pecking order, if, if we're on it, to... Not me. <laughs> I'm just saying if he continues on this trajectory, he does a lot of the things that they were hoping Cartaya would do with a lot of the same questions. He whiffs a lot. He hits the ball very hard and he has been very productive and was very productive this past season. Uh, what was it? 25 home runs, Jack, this 24, past season? 24, 24.
2: and 418 plate appearances.
1: Yeah, that, that'll that play. You got 24 homers. I mean, Kept the strikeout rate under thirty percent, but walked a ton to hedge that. Guy hits the ball really hard for a player that was in his age nineteen season. Switch hitter that can get into it from both sides. Uh, just a guy that wasn't really on my radar that much, and it's just impossible to ignore this kind of power as a switch hitting catcher, even with the whiff.
2: Yeah, man. I he he was one of those where you, you know I think a lot of people were following Jose DePala. Who got his first full taste of full season baseball in lowe Rancho? And Lorenzo is someone that ha- certainly had prospect intrigue coming into this, but elevated this year. And with Cartaya having the year he did, rushing was awesome. Dalton rushing was great. Rushing, I mm-hmm. think, is clearly the top catching prospect in the Dodgers system. And I think the Dodgers probably do end up extending Will Smith very soon. Um, they may start looking at these guys as having a ton of trade capital. And Mm -hmm. I think if you were to approach the 29 other GMs and said, hey, this is our list of three catching prospects, you power rank them one through three, I can absolutely see that some may want Lorenzo a bit more than Cartaya. I think rushing is a clear cut, number one, but Lorenzo might be number two at this point, considering how much juice this guy does have in the tank at 19 years old.
1: Yeah. And, you know, that's the thing is, you know, Cartaya all of a sudden is you know 22 now and it's uh, the clock's ticking. Where's, where's the power? And he hit some home runs this year, but the 90th percentile was 102. like, And that it's kind of been that way. Like, I don't think, I don't think he hits the ball as hard as people think he does. And then also it's just that he hits in the air consistently, which is great. But when you strike out as much as he does got to be hitting the ball hard. And Lorenzo hits the ball hard. We'll see how the defense progresses and all those things. But I think when you're seeing the power output right now, you got to be pretty excited about that. I do have concerns about the whiff. I think that is something that could ultimately hold him back. But as good of an age 19 season as you could ask for, a lot of momentum heading into next year, and definitely not a guy that I was expecting to hit 25 or almost 25 home runs this season. A guy was not expecting to steal nearly a hundred bases. And if you include the Arizona fall league uh, has stolen a hundred bases. And you know, like we mentioned, should be on the show sometime next week. Uh, excited for that. Victor Scott, the second, we just talked about him an episode ago. I was breaking down some of my live looks and crazy enough, the Cardinals prospect went deep the the day, like the day I recorded that. And it was funny because if you listen to that episode, I'm talking about how I saw sneaky power and what stood out to me was a couple foul balls that he hit, even where you could see the bat speed, the way he was able to uh, turn around something middle in and hit it hard. And I'm like, that's not your traditional speed, you know, slap hitting type guy. That's a guy that can surprise you and run into one lead off Homer right away. And uh, the game that I went to yesterday, and it was a blast. It was one Oh seven. And it was a line shot that got out quick. This guy's got, sneaky power and just enough to be a a really good ball player but that's not why we're talking about him right now that's why i think he's going to be a good big leaguer why we're talking about him is he nearly stole 100 bags but he also hit for average and he also just was a good all-around baseball player this year
2: yeah he there's so much more like he's so much more than a one-trick pony one a one-trick stolen base pony if the power is you know, there, and he is a 15 home run threat. He's top 100 type talent, right? Yeah. You
1: know, I mean, that's what I was looking at. Like when I was watching him, I'm like, man, he's, he's right there. Like he's right there. Um, I'm with you. I mean, especially when you consider what he can do now. I mean, nine, nine, 10 home runs with 10 triples. That's enough when you got everything else going and, and he's walking a little bit too. Yeah. Big time. I mean, looking at the numbers this year, 303, 369, 425 slash line. That's between high A and double A. And he was better in double. And, and, you know, that was something that, of course, the ball flies a little bit more out there. But it was nice to see that work into his favor and say, OK, hey, a guy with some fringy pop can actually tap into at least average pop in the right environments. I mean, that's great to see. It's hard to hit for power in the Midwest League. He He only had two home runs in 66 games there. Then 66 games in Springfield in Texas League, he hit seven there, but really just a menace on the base paths. I get, to, I mean, seeing it up close and personal, just the way that he's able to get these jumps, the leads that he gets, how comfortable he is. It just seems like he's playing the game at a different speed than everybody else, but the game somehow like operating slower for him. It, it's pretty awesome to see. 14 for 16 already in the fall league, 804 OPS out here. He's just been really damn good. And I think he's right on the fringe of top 100. And I also think that he was one of the more surprising breakouts because another guy, you look at what he did last year in his pro debut, 31 games in a low way. I know it sucks hitting out there, but 222, 358, 389 slash line. I, I mean, 13 bags and 31 games on 16 tries. And that pales in comparison to pretty much Everything he did this year, in, in any stretch, uh, so it's it's amazing to see the way he's able to make a leap this year after being a fifth round pick.
2: And again, he hit better this year than any year in the Big Twelve, and even in Scottsdale, twenty games hitting two seventy eight. At West Virginia, he hit two twenty two in what fifteen games his freshman year. Sophomore year hit two thirty two. Junior year hit two seventy eight. The speed was good enough to get him drafted, but there needed to be more that came around. And so much more came around this year than many were expecting. I think there's even more coming
1: too. So it, it's exciting to see. And that's a guy that I think definitely will be a part of their future and, and be involved in some way within the Maybe. next year or so. Pitching side of things. We got a few. I, I think it was a little bit harder. I know you agree to, to kind of identify you know, some pitchers that truly broke out because I think pitchers that are generally capable of breaking out are, are already on your radar a little bit
2: more than than hitters. But they they all they all threw ninety seven. You know yeah. what I mean? Like every yeah. pitcher capable of breaking out has great stuff, and yeah. if you have great stuff, we know who you are. Exactly, and it's it's a couple guys in here that I think thrive off
1: deception that makes them that true breakout, and then just some other guys that just kind of they they were already known, but just exceeded any expectations. We'll start with those guys. Drew Thorpe, we talked about as one of the newcomers on the top 100 list. Yes, he was a second round pick. But I mean, I don't think anybody was expecting this kind of year from Drew Thorpe where, I mean, the Yankees prospect was was point blank. I I think one of the best pitchers in the minor league, like period, if it weren't for. Robbie Snelling, maybe one or two others, I think you can make a really strong Drew Thorpe case for, for minor league pitcher of the year. And I think what stands out the most and what truly makes him a breakout for me, Jack is, you know, I felt pretty confident that this guy was going to fill up the strike zone that, you know, after what he showed at Cal Poly, not going to walk guys is you know, going to throw a lot of innings, but I didn't expect him to strike out 182 and 139 and thirds innings. That's what truly makes it a breakout for me. It was never about the, st- like no one, no one ever talked about Drew Thorpe's stuff. Yes. His changeup's unbelievable, but no one was like, oh, that guy, that guy can, you know, he's a frontline stuff like he's going he, to wipe out stuff. It's a low 90s fastball It's a changeup that carries him. And no one really gave his his breaking balls any respect. Now they do because the breaking balls were really good this year and the cutter was really good. But yeah. I got to say the strikeouts are probably one of the biggest surprises for me of, of really any pitcher this year. Almost 200 punches in a minor league season is crazy.
2: Yeah, I strive for consistent groundbreaking analysis, especially when it comes to pitching. But my groundbreaking analysis here is, hey, Jack, why was he a breakout? My answer was just going to be strikeouts. Like you took the words out of my mouth. No way. Actually, didn't, that's funny. Well, I, yeah, thought, it, I thought you were going to say record, 14 Oh, record! Record's nice too. Um, yeah, I like the record, but strikeouts, um, kind of same sentiment. I was not expecting this many strikeouts. You could say, hey, you know what, like this guy was an innings eater and and he carved through, you know, Big West opponents. But, you know, like, yeah, that can result in a bunch of strikes being thrown that can result in a bunch of ground balls. And, you know, I think it's there's an element of randomness. I don't think it's entirely random, but I do think that there is an element of randomness to minor league ERA. Um, And, you know, like I'm not stunned that this guy had a sub three ERA because he fills the strike zone with pitches that are hard to barrel up. But the fact that he got all the whiffs that he did, it's like, wow, I didn't see that coming. And this guy, I, I think the fastball is a bit better than many were expecting it to be. The changeup is somehow better than advertised. And man, I, he's got a pitch mix. That's good enough to get out to the major league level in 2024. Can you believe that? And, and, and I hope, I hope
1: they do it. Like instead of just trading him for like the next Frankie Montes, can, you just let some of your guys throw and see how they do? Uh, that that would be awesome. Uh, what's interesting with Thorpe too is he had really two blow-up outings, just full-on blow-up outings. And if you take – you know I love to play this game, even though it's yeah. – you take out the bad thing he did, he was really good. He was but all good, yeah. If you take out those two blow-up outings, you have a span of 21 starts here where he had a 171 ERA. Yeah. Uh, I mean – and it's funny because those two blow up outings didn't come in Double A. It came in in High A. In Double A, he didn't have any blow up outings. He had one where he gave up eight runs at Hickory, uh, and then he had another one where he gave up six uh,
2: against Wilmington. At I mean, Hickory, that's a that's a long trip from Hudson Valley to Hickory. He probably yeah. just slept shitting on the bus. All right, <laughs> eliminate that one. Oh, yeah, cool.
1: so we eliminate that one, but we're keeping the the six the six earned runs in uh, against Wilmington. No, just throw that one out too. Okay, so we got a one seven one ERA, thirty five no. K rate. 7%. It's Wilmington.
2: It's Wilmington, Delaware, I think.
1: Yeah, that's an easy drive. No, we have to include that one. Shit, that puts it back up to over two oh six. I'm sorry. All right, so not that great of a year. Um, no, but seriously, like, Thorpe man, it, it's it was really impressive. The other thing that's underrated about him is he holds runners on really well. Um, and, and I mean, that matters now in today's game, like we're seeing, it, especially in the playoff stage, uh, he just does all the little things. Well, this would be a guy that if he is anchoring my, you know, you're hoping there's the three starter upside here, but if he's anchoring my fourth spot in the rotation, I'm so comfortable. So you just know, he's going to come out there every fifth day. He might get hit every once in a while, but he's going to throw strikes. He's going to hold runners on. He's going to, even if he's not on uh, uh, doing his best, he's going to give you four or five innings. Uh, uh, or maybe six, even when he's not on. And like, I I just love pitchers like that.
2: If Johnny Brito threw 25 times this year for the Yankees and had an ERA in the low to mid fours, Yankee fans were going to be very happy with Johnny Brito.
1: They'd be trying to package him for, uh, for Dylan Cease.
2: That's fine because they see
1: value there. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. They saw value in Clint Frazier and Miguel and Duhar as well. But no, you do have a great point. Like, I think Yankees fans are going to be very pleased with Thorpe, especially with the frustration that they've had both internally and externally with the yeah. arms that have been given an opportunity, which isn't many. And, yeah. you know, the arms that they've gone out and gotten outside of Garrett Cole.
2: not been great. I think what they understand, credit to Yankee fans. Can't believe I just said that they understand that there's immense value in consistency and reliability, and yeah. they have that with Cole nobody's shitting on Cole anymore. I think that there was a point early in Cole's Yankee tenure where they are oh, yeah. like, wait, we paid 300 for this guy. Yeah, They understand that that guy is towing the rubber 32 times a year for them and will give them an ERA at the very worst in the mid threes. And there's so much reliability there. But with what they've gone through with Severino, with Frankie Montas, with Carlos Rodan, they're just going to be thankful that someone's taking the ball for them every we're fifth correct. day. And that's true, Thorpe. And he
1: seems, yeah, to that point, very durable, and I think he's a guy that's going to be able to knock on wood, eat innings. I hate when I have to call an arm durable, and then it sucks. You
2: know, like, oh, Paul Skeen's incredibly durable, yeah, because he hasn't been like pitching in earnest this long.
1: Yeah, R- relatively speaking, though, Thorpe, you know, lower velocity, low effort. I-, I do think that he's the perfect, you know, and I think that's why they gave him 140 innings this year. He's perfect guy to be able to you know, kind of handle I thought- that kind of workload. Dude, I thought Boz was low effort. <laughs> it, that's, it, it Boz sucks. was low effort. Uh, Pitching but, sucks. <laughs> yeah, but he threw a hundred. That's the difference. Low effort at ninety-two. Yeah. Guy might, guy so, might be able to try able to harder. You try harder and throw a hundred. <laughs> no, well, here you go. You want you want a little bit more effort here and a little bit more risk. <laughs> Jacob is our next breakout. And uh, man, I mean, this is an interesting one because second round pick in twenty twenty two, definitely on radars but nobody had him as a top 100 prospect coming into this year and I know because like I, I you, you get so lost in the last like few months of you know or last six seven eight months where you're talking about a guy so frequently you almost forget where they came from and was, which was Crowder college by the way and the other side of it is I remember being on a plane really early in the season maybe like two starts in I'm doing some digging on some of the best starts of the day and uh, doing a little data dive and I remember hitting you uh, shooting you a text, with some of the data on Mizorowski and saying, dude, what the hell is this? And we were talking about it. And like, we had heard the name and stuff, but, and, and people had said, oh yeah, triple digits, fastball, blah, blah, blah. But nobody really knew what the deal was. Nobody realized that it was you know, that kind of extension, that release point, the fastball jumping from there, the, the rest of the stuff that's there, the limbs flying everywhere, Slenderman throwing just crazy pitches at you that you can't see. And once I started watching into that, a couple starts in, I realized that there was something there. But there was also the risk of, hey, he might walk 40 guys a start and have no chance. He was able to circumvent that enough. It's still going to be a work in progress. But I think that was the big key here is uh, I think scouts and, and people in the industry knew that this guy was capable of something around this. But I think a lot of fans and uh, I'd say mo- a lot of writers and people that cover the minor leagues, regardless, maybe didn't. Uh, they knew you hear, oh, this guy can reach 100 all the time, but you don't hear about the release point, the extension just how unique the profile is of the fastball and just how nasty the overall stuff is. And the product of that is 110 punches and 71 and a thirds innings for a guy that really in his first pro season, I'm not counting one and two thirds innings uh, in, in Carolina, which by the way, he walked seven in, in one and two thirds innings. He had two chances in his pro debut in 2022, Walked seven and hit one. So I think that's part of the reason why people just were kind of off him. We're not really, not really clocked in. Well, this year, five walks per nine and 14 K's per nine.
2: Yeah. He, um, I think I sent you a video too, right after you sent me the data points, like it was just one of those random videos that popped up on Twitter and it's, it's the sensation You get from, I don't know, two, three years ago, first time you watched Victor Wembanyama highlights on Mm -hmm. YouTube or Twitter, it's like, what? Like, human body's not supposed to do Mm -hmm. that. And that was kind of Mizorowski's thing, where he was slender man that happened to throw 100, and, like, pitches would somehow find the corner, and it's like, oh, that's unhittable. Um, You mentioned Crowder College in Neosho, Missouri. Four big leaguers out of Crowder College. John Barfield, who was drafted in 85, had a negative 0. 0.4 war. Travis Phelps in 96 had a 0. 0.8 war in eight games. Sam Hilliard was drafted in 2014. What? And Aaron Ashby was drafted in 2018. No way. Yeah, so Hilliard, Ashby, and Jacob Brewers Miseraschi. Pipeline, Crowder College. This guy came out of absolutely freaking nowhere, huh? Miserowski. Yeah. Yeah. I,
1: I, this is a guy I'd love to get on the pod. Um, not one that we have any leads on yet, but I'm sure we can, we can, we can try to connect with Jacob because I would love to hear this guy's story. Uh, I didn't really think about that till just now. And we're talking about it and you're like, yeah, this guy came out of nowhere. Like, yeah, I would love to know what it was like before Crowder college. May, the Mason Miller interview that, that we did, man, like that was one of my favorite conversations we've had on here because it's just like a whole world. You don't know about no one no one really asks you once you're in the big leagues about, you know, maybe for a feature piece here and there, but no, you know, there's no post-game interview where they're asking you about, you know, what it hey, was like when, you, yeah, when yeah. you were applying for internships in, in, in between your D3 seasons and found out you were diabetic because you had to pee in a cup. Like, I don't know. There's just, and I'm not saying Ms. Ross is going to have that kind of roller coaster story like Mason Miller, but anybody that goes from high school to JUCO and then has this jump, it's going to have some sort of interesting ride that I would love to hear about. So definitely looking forward to that. And, and and I'm sure a lot of people told Mizorowski, you're not going to be able to be a starter. You're not going to be able to, to throw enough strikes, this or that. And look, dude, seven walks in an inning and two thirds like that, that gets to the mental, right? Like that, that can mess but, you up a little bit. Especially you know, when you're if debuting. you have to
2: sit with it for five months.
1: Yeah, that's it. Like that was your one chance. Sorry, buddy. You know, I can see you next year and see you next year was great mean, he clearly I would love to know what that offseason was like, what he worked on and what he found, because, again, yes, there is still another step that needs to be made in terms of the command. But this guy's already solidified himself as a big league reliever by being able to just even have this present command, even in any capacity, right? Being able to just find the zone. And he did that this year. I want to hit on a couple of keys uh, in terms of the metrics. I know it's a lot of numbers and for some, it might just sound like a lot of jargon. But we talk about it with Walker Bueller, and actually, there's something I talk about on the Just Baseball Show, and then also just with my buddy Mike again. That is a big Mike Rather is a big resource for me on just learning pitch shapes and you know what you're trying to get from pitchers and all that. And both of them said the same thing to a T, which is so funny. You want to get as far away from average or as far away from the dead zone as possible. There's so many different ways to do that, from release point to pitch shape to extension to all of them. Right? You want to create this little cocktail that keeps you away from whatever the, the status quo is. Usually it's one or two outliers uh, or one outlier and a couple other things that are uh, slightly above average. Jacob Mizorowski is all outliers. And, and that's, what's amazing to me. His extension is almost a foot uh, further than, than the average pitcher, his release height, which is the craziest part. Cause he's six, seven, his release height is actually lower than the average pitcher. So you have extension out closer to home plate and a lower release point. And relative to most players with his release height, which is already a small bucket, the lower the release height, the harder it is to get vertical break, right? vertical ride, because when you're releasing from a lower point, you're going to get more horizontal than vertical. It's so hard to get that carry. He gets more carry than the average player from that release point. So it's a low release point. It's further extension and it's more carry. And oh, by the way, it's 100. So it's outlier in every single capacity, every single facet. You don't really find fastballs like that. And we're not even getting into the sweeper and those things. So I think that was the big thing that was a breakout here too, is he optimized his delivery a little bit and really leaned into the outlier things and didn't, you know, there's probably people in his ear saying, clean it up, you know, do this or do that. And instead he's leaning into being an outlier and slowly finding the zone a little bit more. Uh, Zach Wheeler release height. Do you know it? So can you I, I can't believe you brought up Zach Wheeler. Cause that's the one guy that I think can comparatively have the low release height and the extension. I know the extensions over seven feet, which is really what makes him special. I want to say the Zach Wheeler release height is what? Like five, three, five.
2: Uh, it looks like five, four. Oh, I was, close. although I don't know, like the public place to go get release height. I can get extension on Savant release. height's hard for me to find. Um, but yeah, like, I don't right. know. You right. say right. you say great extension, low release height. I go to Zach Wheeler. I listen. That's, don't worry. That is, that is the best. Yeah, that was that's the best comparison. Now, and, and this
1: is even funkier. Wheeler gets a little bit more carry, but Meserowski throws it a little bit harder. I'm trying to deal get this uh this wheeler, uh, this wheeler measurable here, but that's what makes his fastball so unbelievably ridiculous. Oh, I was so close. It is, yeah, it's five four though. Nice, I win. You got it. Um, but yeah, so that's what makes Mizorowski so good. Definitely a breakout from that capacity to already reach double A. Yes, the numbers weren't as good in double A, but to reach that level, really impressive. Made a mockery of high A as a guy straight out of JUCO. Really, really nice stuff from him. You ready to talk about the king? The absolute yes. goat.
2: Yes, and and you know who that is. Yeah, you mean Lynn bingo arizona diamondbacks um this is your king yeah i need to go on fanatics or some other retailer and customize a you mean lynn arizona diamondbacks jersey and we're gonna steal it and we're gonna put it on the just baseball.com uh shopify and everybody's gonna go buy it
1: (laughs) we we should try to to make some you mean lynn merch that would that would go crazy.
2: I'm I'm in the hive. I am a you mean Lynn Stan, and um, Lynn defies every logical thought that I have about pitching. He's a tiny dude that was throwing what 89 to 91 coming into this year. Yep, it has this diabolical fluttering changeup that has so much separation and so much movement. He's the little kid that hops on the mound that like. All of a sudden, he's nasty, and everybody walks back to the dugout like, what's that satanic shit that I just swung and missed at? That's you mean, Lynn. What
1: what makes it even weirder is, yeah, the changeup's bizarre. Like That's a really hard pitch. It's just nasty. It's a plus pitch. But there's nothing really – the other stuff isn't not really that great, but for whatever – it's one of those where it's like you go up there, it doesn't look like it's that crazy, but you can't hit it. And to your point, you walk back to the dugout and you're like, "Why couldn't I hit that?" Yeah. And and that's what he is. Because when we talk about getting away from the dead dead zone, all the things I just talked about with Mizorowski, Lynn doesn't really do that. Like there, there's really? nothing that jumps out. His extension is below average. His release height is average. His velocity is average. His vertical movement average. Like velocity is actually below average. But he disrupts timing. If you watch this guy throw. He'll almost have a different kind of wind up every time, try to throw you off a little bit. He turns in and you can't see the ball. And then he uncorks and whips it around on you. And I think that's a big part of it as well. I'm writing about Mason Black as we're doing the giant system. That's something that I noticed too. And that's not going to show up as much in the, in the pitch data. Deception. But the good old school deception, right? I'm hiding the ball. I'm inward twisting and I whip my arm around. That's kind of what you mean when does. And he just is disruptive. I also think he's effectively wild because he does throw enough strikes, but his strike rate on some of his secondaries is not great. But he fills it up when he needs to. He's effectively wild.
2: There are things that need to improve for him to become a major league pitcher, because yes. this version of Yumi Lin can't get out to the major league level. No, no. don't believe that. I don't know if he can get out to the double A or triple A level, but he got outs in single A this year in low A and high A. Um, he got some double A outs. He got some double A outs. He got some double A outs. He he makes things just uncomfortable enough Yeah, for really solid hitters. I'm worried when he sees really high quality hitters, you know, one through nine in the order. Um, And I know that, you know, AAA is not the big leagues, but you do kind of see that in AAA, like the eight hitter, the nine hitter, they can capitalize on some part pitching Lynn. I'm, I'm just a little, I don't know. I'm just fascinated by how uncomfortable he makes some good hitters look at this point. No, I
1: know. I, and that's just an interesting guy that when we do that d system, I'm excited to talk about him. But, you know, if he can gain a tick or two yeah, with the changeup already being there and, and that feel for the breaking ball, like the, the breaking balls have flashed. It can all come together. But, you know, it's it's just an interesting case. I think the reason why he's a breakout is he we literally had no reason to really pay attention to him. He had a, he had a good year last year, but like was at the rookie level mostly and a little bit of, of low A. I think what stands out, yeah, three eight six ERA, but one hundred and twenty one innings handled a big workload as a five nine lefty. Punched out one hundred and forty and had some starts. I think it was some of the individual starts that we saw. He had some of the most dominant starts of the year, like point blank. So uh, I thought that part of it was really impressive too. So you mean Lynn, really impressive year and uh, he's on the radar, but he's gonna have to. I agree, you know, kind of find something or gain another another tick to to truly be that big league back end of the rotation starter. Two more guys. Two that definitely came out of nowhere. One with the Red Sox, who they you know sorely needed, similar to to Lynn, but some more outlier type stuff. Isaac Coffey of the Boston Red Sox. They needed this guy bad. They just they just needed a pitcher period. Very bad. And Coffey was awesome this year. Tenth round pick in 2022 from Oral Roberts. And I mean, it's interesting because. Good numbers at Oral Roberts, but you know, mid-major, you're not. I mean, they're a good program that really undersells them. They're a very good program, but you know, a lot of the competition they're playing, you know, maybe not as as tough. And his senior season is kind of a step backwards a little bit, still solid, but a 377 ERA. This year, his first pro season between low a, or high A and double A. So, right away, as a 10th-round pick. Again, dude. Pretty much, I mean, he has slightly better year. The, his junior year of college, but pretty much the best year he's had. If you factor in innings and strikeouts and all that good stuff, a three three seven ERA, hundred and seventeen and two thirds innings, hundred fifty five punchouts. Most notably, I think at the at the high A level right away, 16 and a thirds innings, a two eight three ERA. To even be able to handle that double A promotion in his first pro season, you know, after being drafted in the tenth round and all that stuff, is is yeah. pretty remarkable. And talk about a guy with a very unique release point
2: yeah um he found like the right blend of swing and miss stuff it's you know pretty much the best swing and miss campaign he's ever had over a full year um he struck out 155 and 117 and two-thirds it's 11.9 Ks per nine uh summer ball through 12 innings punched out 16 so you know teensy sample size this was the best strikeout season he's ever had but he walked two and a half guys per nine So, he was maybe the best strikeout to walk guy in minor league baseball this year because he was punching out the world and he wasn't walking much of anybody. I think Thorpe is up there too, but Coffee Man, like he was, he was really, really impressive. And this is a guy like, I don't, he's, he's old, like he's 23, and he started the year in high A. He was a league average pitcher. You'd never really consider true prospects to be league average when it comes to age, but the Red Sox. We know even with the hiring of Craig Breslow, they're always in the market for starting pitching help. And this kind of feels like the candidate to start next year in double, maybe climb to triple. And if they do deal with a bunch of injuries and they don't make as much of a sp- splash in free agency as we expect them to, um, this could be a guy that starts some games in August or September for the Boston Red Sox.
1: No doubt. And, and I think he actually could settle in as a reliever. It's it's a really unique profile because you don't see many starters throwing fully sidearm and he's pretty much fully sidearm fastballs 88, 89, you know, we'll touch 90, but an in zone whiff of 25% this year on an 88, 89 mile an hour fastball, just because of the shape. And and I think you could optimize a few things with the vertical attack angle and all that good stuff, but really good in zone whiff, good overall whiff filled up the strike zone with that fastball to 71% clip release height. You know, we we like to talk about, release height under four feet on the fastball. I mean, that's legitimately just horizontal right over the ground and just whipping that at you. So, you know, you can only throw so hard from that release point, but I think 88, 89 from that release point is is tough and it just dives, it darts. And then off of that, you've got this breaking ball that just sweeps across. And think about a, a breaking ball sweeping across from this far over to the right release point. Um, I think it's like three feet horizontally as well. I, that That's a really unique spot to see the ball from big whiff on the curveball, 19% swinging strike rate, which is overall whiff and 40% in zone whiff there. So, that, I mean, that's crazy stuff. And then he'll snap a change up off of that. How are you going to differentiate that? It's the same release point, except this one, he just kind of flips it out over and it just dives right off the table. So the changeup was really effective for him too. Fastball opponents at 220, curveball opponents at 200, change up opponents at 180, cutter opponents were a little bit better. It seems like everyone hits cutters. I don't know why. If you don't have a good cutter, just stop throwing it. Cutter guys hit well. Uh, but the point is, I mean, the fastball curve and change, those were really good for him. And they all play off of that same funky release point.
2: So I will say just mess around and play catch from that slot. And you'll understand why cutters don't necessarily play as well. Um, If you drop down to that, like sidearm slot, your fastball can almost move like a subdued sinker. If you throw a sinker type or even a two seam, it's going to have more sinking action, diving action. That's how guys can start to get more swing and miss on their fastball. If you drop the slot down and some of that horizontal run turns into vertical drop, um, and then you've got like a sweeping slider. You snap that thing off. You're pretty much just frisbeeing that across yeah, the zone. Yeah, it's
1: it's like the, it's like the open hand frisbee.
2: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You're you're with your boys on the quad. Um, I could never. I could never rip the forehand frisbee though. I never ripped it. I was a backhand guy exclusively. But you frisbee that slider across. What is a cutter? It's a slider that slides a lot less. Yeah. And it's a little harder. So then it just kind of like floats on top of the zone. It's not a good pitch from that slot. No, um, But if he can be a sinker sweeping slider and a changeup that also dives a ton vertically off the sinker, that's a great three pitch mix from that slot.
1: A hundred percent. And I think that's the interesting thing is I don't think he's done getting better. I think there's some optimization that could be had with the arsenal and, and Breslau put a big part in in the development of, of the pitching prospects in the Cubs system that the whole pitch lab that you know, they talked about and all that good stuff. Like, The Cubs knew what they were doing there. And and I think if the Red Sox can kind of get themselves going in a certain way and and with their pitching development, things like that, these are the perfect examples. Just optimizing that arsenal, using your release point to your advantage. Some more sync on that fastball would be great. uh, And and just tweaking some little things there. I think he could be a legitimate starter, a very unique one, but he could be a, a solid one for them there. Last guy. Minnesota Twins right-hander who is very unique as well and had a fantastic year. Uh, Corey Lewis, right-hander with the Twins. Of course, we got a knuckleballer in here and, and it's not predominantly though. That's the fun thing is he mixes in a knuckleball, and but also it's not like George Kirby, like wants a start, you know, or just unveils it all of a sudden he uses it. It's a weapon, but this guy was awesome. Another West coast, underrated West coast arm. That had a strong year, ninth round pick in 2022 out of UC Santa Barbara, and guess what, Jack? Another guy who had a better year as a pro than he had in college. Two four nine ERA this year between low A and high A. 101 innings, struck out 118, walked just 33. Dude is interesting. It's a low 90s fastball, but great shape, slider, good change, and a knuckleball. Also mixes mixes in a curve. So he's got five pitches, but a knuckleball that he'll mix in about 15% of the time. And it's the hardest knuckleball I've ever
2: seen. It's 84 miles an hour. Jeez. I've 84. Seen, I've seen 80. I've never seen 84. And it's How a do you do knuckle. I, I don't know. How hard was Kirby's that he threw? I thought it was 70-something. It might have been. It was hard kirby's knuckleball was disgusting but an 84 mile an hour knuckleball like that thing gets on you it just it it probably tumbles so quickly at you that you don't even have time to kind of stutter your foot that's a crazy thing to pallet an 84 mile an hour knuckleball 80 i want to know i want to know
1: how that's possible i, I would that's another guy i just love to talk to He's that, that thing is topped at 86 jesus And yeah, it averages obviously no spin, Um, but it's, it's pretty cool to see him doing that. And you just don't see guys mixing in the knuckleball. It's either you're a knuckleballer or you throw one-offs. You don't see a guy mixing it in around 15% of the time. What's interesting is you also got to worry about a fastball that average. Yes. It's a high release height because he's six, five and he's over the top, but you got to worry about a fastball. If you're going to be over the top, have crazy carry. Average 21 inches of induced vertical break on his fastball. So that's going to play. Um, And then everything kind of works off of that, right? You got to worry about the high carry fastball, which got a ton of chase at the top of the zone. Use that to his advantage big time. Nearly a 40% chase rate on the fastball. Slider was really good for him. It's about consistently locating it, but it was really good for him. Opponents hit well under the Mendoza line against that with good break. Mentioned the changeup. He would leave it up. It got hit at times, but overall was a good pitch for him. And then that knuckleball that opponents hit Two hundred against, but he also barely gave up any extra base hits. He had sixty six at bats against the knuckleball, thirty six strikeouts, fifteen hits, only five were for extra bases. Perhaps like the most impressive thing is that he actually throws it
2: for a strike relatively consistently, uh, which is is very hard to do. Yeah seems like it man i haven't gotten a good look at Corey lewis but i know that he was a guest on the behind the scenes pod yeah so clearly that guy has some perspective
1: yeah which i love too so go check that out and and lewis just a very fun pitcher that i'm definitely rooting for mixes in that taste breaking curveball as well so nothing may jump off the page but that fastball is going to play above average all those secondaries look like they could be above average I think Lewis is a guy that could be one of the more underrated arms in the minors right now, given the stuff because he didn't get challenged with a double a promotion kind of under the radar in certain ways. But I mean, he had as good of a year as any of the guys we talked about on here, to be honest, besides maybe Drew Thorpe. Yeah. That'll do it for this episode. We we're trying to figure out the scheduling side of things. I'll be back home and kind of back to normal a little bit uh, as, as we, Start to get back into the swing of things in terms of getting into the structure that we promised you with the top prospect list every week. Of course, we will have the Giants next. Uh any any other fun scheduling notes, Jack? As you're the guy that definitely puts together the uh the calendars really well and is just just the uh the
2: organizer of everything. Um, Under the Radar Guys and the Upper Miners is coming up next week. And I think that's fun. And that's kind of a place where uh, if I just read our messages back throughout the season, we can probably cook because yeah. I, I see a bunch of guys in AAA that like don't get as much love as I think many should. And some of those guys are relief pitchers. And and there are. I don't know. It's kind of like the Cam Newton thing. Remember, remember the Auburn recruitment story uh, with Cam Newton, the Auburn coaches went to Blinn Junior College in Texas to take a gander at this really good wide receiver and they realized it, it was the quarterback that was like actually making the receiver good. And that's how that was similar knew. with like John ja Morant, right? It was like a by accident that, it's thing. like going to watch Zion in AAU and they were like, wait, this point guard's kind of sick. Crazy
1: enough, I think that happened with um that happened with Mike Fires at North uh, or at uh, Nova Southeastern University, Division Two and Fort Lauderdale. Florida. Were they going to see
2: JD Martinez? Uh,
1: they were going to see JD Martinez and um you know, Fires was throwing eighty four and getting outs, and someone was like, "You know what? I'm gonna take a fire on this guy in like the the last round." <laughs> and I, so, I always love those stories. So yeah, let's we'll, let's try to do that ourselves.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I wanna I wanna try doing with you. It's like, hey, guys in Double A AA and Triple A, when we were watching a ton of you know really solid prospects, maybe there were guys that flew a bit under the radar there. That hey, can absolutely have a big league spot. And Tyler Fitzgerald, I think, is a great example of a guy like that. I love it. I love it. We're looking forward to that. that one will definitely be for the prospect
1: heads. Uh, I know they'll they'll enjoy that, but that'll do it for this episode. Again, we have giants top prospects coming at you next week as well. Keep an eye out for that and plenty of off season uh, coverage when it comes to free agency, 40 man stuff as well. I'll be all over that. And you know, it's almost real five season again, which is honestly, I get way too excited for that, but looking forward to that as always. Thank you for listening. Look forward to talking prospects with you early next week.